Welcome to the Social Complex Podcast, where we are diving into the complex impact and influence of social media on brands, brains, and the bigger picture of our modern world. Here's your host, Hillary Applegate. Welcome back to another episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Today, we are going to be chatting all about trends. We are going to be talking about Sprout Social and their trends report that they release every year. It's called the Sprout Social Index, and for the last nine years, I believe, it has been an incredible resource for myself and other social media managers in the space. The idea of the report is to understand both the consumer side and the marketer side. It's a great way to understand what's happening in the world of buyers and consumers. And it's also really interesting insight into the social media manager landscape, which we all know over the last nine years has changed drastically. So it's not just about how consumers are responding to brands on social. It's how organizations are actually adapting to how they support the demand for content and attention among their buyers. I love summer because all of these reports come out and Sprout has just always done a really great job, in my opinion, on condensing their data and synthesizing it and giving some really actionable insights. So I wanted to go ahead and hop on the mic and share my thoughts about this summer's edition of the Sprout Social Index. I'll go ahead and link the report in the show notes and we'll touch on a few key standout trends that I think are important for brand and marketing managers to know in 2022. But read through, check it out yourself, see what you think and share with someone you know. All right, let's get into it. So the first trend that popped up that I saw and it really stuck out to me, um, no surprise, was like the first trend that they called out. So... The biggest issue that social media teams are claiming currently and the biggest challenge that they're having is bandwidth, so talent. And that's not foreign to any industry right now. We all know that we're having an issue with talent management and really getting top talent in an organization. But something that was really interesting for social media teams in particular is that when you think about how many platforms there are out there, finding experienced talent is really difficult. It's really hard to find someone who has tenured experience with TikTok simply because TikTok has only been around for two years. So, well, two years in the brand world. So a direct quote is that more than half of marketers, 52%, are saying that finding experienced talent is their number one challenge this year. Brands need to be thoughtful about social team growth, both in identifying which social roles to hire and calibrating job descriptions to attract and foster qualified talent. And that's, I mean, very accurate. If you think about how historically we've hired for social media managers, it has been very much jack of all trades. So if you look at I mean, even today, if you look at job descriptions for social media managers, you'll see that they're really looking for copywriters, strategists, designers, editors, community managers, crisis communicators, videographers, influencer managers. I mean, they we're hiring for a very, very special unicorn that can be able to hit that. And in my role, hiring social media managers, I do find that different 
specialists, especially, I mean, they have a area of expertise within the social media management umbrella that they're really strong in. So I've had people who are incredible writers, but they can't design anything. Like they, they just do not have the design eye. They don't have the design skill. And then I've also had people that are really great thinkers and they can come up with really amazing concepts, really innovative ideas, but they cannot spell to save their life. So finding someone that can hit all of those different categories is, I think, becoming more aware within leadership and hiring managers. So it's nice that we're starting to see that shift in recognition, and this report confirms it. Teams are expanding, and 88% of marketers are expecting to hire another team member in social in the next two years, with 62% of respondents claiming that they're expecting to hire two to six new positions. Oh my gosh. That's going to be amazing. When you're working with a team of specialists, you are going to be able to create wonderful content because you're going to have someone that's really tuned into social media video content. They know what's out there. So they're going to be able to produce, ideate, and come up with really interesting concepts. Now, they may not be able to edit the best, but if you have someone that can take that direction and edit video content and then mirror it with someone that is so in tune with your copywriting and your brand voice, and then someone that can be that face of the brand and manage and engage in the comment section. I mean, that is a powerhouse team. So it's really great to see that we're seeing that shift start to evolve where people are starting to think of social media as more than just one role, nonetheless, more than just an entry level role. And they're really seeing the power of that frontline defense for their brand and their consumers. Another trend that I thought was worth noting is that the most engaging in-feed social content by vote of consumers is short video. And that's not really surprising. 66% of respondents think that short form video is the best, followed by images at 61%. And then we have a sharp drop to guess what the third one is. Live video above GIFs and memes. That's crazy. So when you think about how your brand is interacting and how you're responding and how you're showing up in the feed. I've seen some brands completely ditch images altogether and go straight into video content. It seems based on this data though, that there's still a pretty big interest in images. So I would definitely continue incorporating static imagery into your content. And there's different ways to do it too. With the adoption of carousel ads that came out, um, what was that? Five years ago, maybe. So you can swipe through, you can check it out. Um, and then also informative content, photos. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can really, you know, take it to the next level with your content creation. But on the same page, there is a stat that I'm not a huge fan of. Something in here I just don't love. 74% of consumers think that publishing sweet spot amount for brands is one to two posts per day. Direct quote. But that number is based on what consumers actually see in their news feeds. Since every platform has a different algorithm, brands may need to post more often to make sure their customers see the ideal number of posts. And here's my problem with that. It's not necessarily wrong, but go back to the issue of bandwidth. There's a big difference between what is absolute peak performance best way to do something and what is realistic for a brand's budget and resources. The pressure of 
that number and hitting that content number for most organizations is it's just it's too much and it can actually arm inexperienced leaders with demands for a social team that's simply just too lean to deliver and it sets everyone up for failure. So you're going to be working with a team that is burnt out. They're not actually coming up with innovative ideas or on brand concepts because they're simply just trying to hit that quota of (laughs) one to two or two to four posts a day. I mean, I've seen it firsthand where someone comes in with a stat like this and they're like, well, we're supposed to be posting one to two times a day. And you look at this person and you say, that would be wonderful, but you're going to need to build out your team and you're going to need to invest in that team. So if the writing on the walls is correct and these teams do start getting developed and built out, then I think that that's a completely fair reality. But with that, you're doubling, tripling, quadrupling exponentially the amount of content that's out there. And your audience isn't necessarily with social media getting bigger. They're moving at this point, but it's 80% of the population of the world is on social media right now. So we're kind of hitting maturation of the consumers that we're able to talk to. And they're going to be inundated with more and more and more content. So you're going to need to stand out. So that's why I am more of a big proponent of quality content and really figuring out the best approach by brand, not necessarily looking at peak performance and saying, okay, let's go ahead and have 10 people on the social media team that are contributing to it every single day for 10 hours a day. But I digress. We can move on. Another interesting data point that is a little bit buried in here is talking about the impact of influencers. And this is possibly the first index that I've seen that influencers aren't really, I'd say winning. (laughs) They've been a hot topic 2017, 2018, 2019. I mean, a lot of heat in 2020, we all know that. But something that stood out to me that's not really highlighted is that not all audiences respond to influencer marketing in the same way. So younger generations value collaborations with celebrities and influencers or creators more so than older generations. And this is a direct quote. 33% of Gen Z and 28% of millennials value content collaborations over just 17% of Gen X and 9% of baby boomers. So if you're trying to reach uh, that older audience, collaborators are not really going to be a big factor. And that's kind of surprising too to see that uh, Gen Z and millennials are 33%, 28%. I think a lot of it has to do with industry and what you're promoting and what the influencer is really rooted in. I think there's some rich content creators out there in the space But I mean, this is like a third to a fourth of millennials and Gen Z are actually valuing that contribution and that partnership. So that just puts more pressure back on influencer managers to really understand their client, understand consumers, and understand the influencer space. 
Because it's not about finding influencers that fit your audience type. Yes, it's part of it, but usually you have to look at their audience. Who are they attracting? Who are they engaging with? And who are they creating a community around? Once you're able to really identify that next level, that's where the power of influencer marketing really comes into play. But to me, these numbers indicate that there's a little luster being lost in the influencer space, which I'm not totally shocked at. And they split up this data, but later in the report, they talk about how 81% of consumers will unfollow creators if they post sponsored content more than a few times a week. So that's another area of social media that we're starting to see the real estate is getting eaten up. If content creators are seeing the trend that they can't post too many advertisements or too many partnerships, they're going to get increasingly more selective about the partnerships that they are going to be highlighting. So keep that in mind if you are wanting to work with influencers that you're going to see more and more of that tightened availability, (laughs) limited edition. You're not really going to get them all the time. So prioritizing long-term partnerships is actually a significantly more effective way of approaching content with influencers. One, it gives them a chance to really become a spokesperson for your brand over the course of multiple months, multiple weeks. And it gives you a wider variety of ways to have your brand be talked about. So instead of just trying to hit the hammer home on a specific product launch or a service update in one post, they're going to be able to really craft a story that's unique to them and their experience with your brand. So again, make sure that if you're going to be going into the influencer space, start broadening your scope a little bit, understanding the nuance and the limitations that creators are being put against, not not by their own accord, but by that of the consumers. Another graph or chart, whatever you're calling it, that I love in Sprout Index is they take perceptions and then they mirror and match between what consumers actually believe in and what marketers believe in. So I'll give you an example. The top platforms consumers and brands anticipate using the most in the next 12 months. Facebook, consumers, 71%. Marketers, 65%. That tracks. I think this is the first index that I've seen where marketers' anticipation of usage of Facebook is actually below that of consumers. And that also fits with what I'm seeing in the market. A lot of brands are questioning the value of Facebook. Not only has the power of the ad platform that we all used to know and love five years ago just changed so drastically with privacy changes, rules and regulations, uh, data just not being as available or as robust as it once was, and thus causing the increase of advertising to go up. It's just that and the lack of organic reach that you're getting on Facebook just really makes it not as appealing of a place for marketers. But according to this chart, consumers are still very much active on the platform. And to me, that says that we're missing an opportunity to engage with users on Facebook. So I would challenge brand managers out there to ask the question of how are their consumers engaging on Facebook? 
if they are logging in, if they are active on the platform, how are they using it? Are they in groups? Are they on pages? Are they opting in to follow brands? Are they consuming video content exclusively? Is it long form or short form? There's a lot of questions that you can start asking and exploring to help shape and maybe rethink the way that you approach your Facebook strategy instead of just sharing what you share on Instagram. Another category that was over-indexed by consumers and under-indexed by marketers, 51% by consumers and 35% by marketers, YouTube. Why do marketers always forget about YouTube? I don't understand it. It's huge. It's, it's Google. When you think about YouTube, that's a search social platform. So that is a great place for you to really get all of that video content out. And especially with the investment in short form video, which traditionally is vertical video for a lot of these brands, consider if there's an opportunity for you to capture wide lens content and turn that into any type of efficiency process. And don't repost for the sake of reposting it, but you have all this video content, make sure that you are storing it and exploring the opportunity to turn it into a, you know, standard horizontal 16 by nine video content for YouTube that would make sense for the platform. And given that YouTube is a search platform, infusing your keywords in the description, making sure your tags are updated, all of those practices are going to help you achieve that consumer level. 51%. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Instagram marketers are over-indexed. Marketers are thinking that it's the most important 59% and consumers are 49%. Mm, so Instagram's losing a little bit of steam. TikTok, 38% consumers, 39% marketers. So that's pretty close. That's that's a pretty even match of expectations and anticipation for TikTok. And then the final one on here, I'm kind of surprised that this one got here. Snapchat. Who remembers Snapchat? I love Snapchat actually. <laughs> but consumers are on the platform 19% and marketers 9%. So we're seeing some pretty big discrepancies with Snapchat YouTube and Facebook as marketers undervaluing the importance and usage of them with consumers over valuing. And at the end of the day, the consumers are the ones that kind of matter. It matters where your consumers are. And that's the magic of the Sprout Social Index is it just really allows you to sit back and reflect on where your efforts are today. Now, I'll say that with a grain of salt, if you are hell-bent on content that's going out on Instagram and you have a really impressive strategy, everything is going really well, please don't completely pivot for the sake of this data. Trial and error. Test it out. Go ahead and throw up you know, a few YouTube videos that are strategically created to attract your customer and see how they perform. Same thing with Facebook. If you have the capacity to test out something new, go ahead and do it. Sometimes social media and marketers in general, I think really don't like putting their neck out on the line for the trial and error, but giving yourself some ample time to play around. And I say, I say play because it, it should be fun and strategic and you should be excited to try new things. And I think that sometimes 
there can be this idea of like, oh, not another thing. <laughs> I don't want to do another one. I'm not going to get into TikTok. I refuse to get into TikTok because you have so much else going on. Marketers holistically, beyond social media, beyond digital media, we just traditionally have a ton of crap on our plate and it can take that fun out of it. But if you carve out some time to test and try some new things based on this data and see how it, see how it does, that could be a really great indicator for you over the next six to nine months to really make some impressive changes. But again, if you're killing it on Instagram, don't look at this and say Instagram's dying. It's still doing great. You're doing great. Keep going. Next stat on the docket that we're going to talk about. 71% of consumers think it's important for brands to take a stand on sensitive issues. Quote, brands need to speak out on social issues to stay culturally relevant on social media. I don't know if I love that quote. I love the sentiment, but I, it's so much bigger than social media. We've had a reckoning in the transparency of organizations, what they believe in, what they stand for, how they respond to it, what actions they're taking. And I think think there's a huge difference between authentically an organization from a cultural standpoint and from a core value standpoint, believing in something, investing in something, talking about something, standing for something. But that quote, <laughs> brands need to speak out on social issues to stay culturally relevant on social media. I don't know if I agree with that because you should speak out on social issues that are aligned to you and your organization and are true within the thread of your corporate identity. And that will attract your audience online. But to only speak out on social issues, to stay culturally relevant on social media, and I know that's not what they mean, but that interpretation, I would say, it plays too much into the idea that, you know, like it's Pride Month right now. And I have seen so many rainbow flags and brands change their rainbow logos and, you know, do all of the things to show pride. And if you're not familiar and you haven't listened to the episode with the founders of Wunderkeeks, Luis and Han, there's a difference between true allyship and then just jumping on the bandwagon of, <laughs> of a cause. And pride is something that is still very needed today, especially for organizations that are hitting middle America or areas that may not necessarily be as friendly or as welcoming to those who fall within the LGBTQ community. So <laughs> comments like this, I don't necessarily love for that because it just feeds into that idea that, oh, well, they changed their logo and they're jumping on the bandwagon and they don't really care. And that doesn't just hurt the brand and the organization, but it, it, it kind of loses the um, appeal to customers. It loses the credibility with consumers. And then that's going to end up detracting away from actual organizations and actual causes that are really going and making changes. So I don't know. It's a fine line, but don't do anything just to stay culturally relevant on social media ever. It has to come from you. It has to come from your heart and from the organization. And generally when it comes to these types of 
allyships, standing for specific issues, uh, taking a firm stance, whether or not you are like, absolutely, duh, obviously, (laughs) obviously we're going to stand for this. It does have to be an open, shared conversation and a very aware within the organization as part of the cultural threads of the company. And that comes from and is also supported and enabled by leadership and encouraging all areas, 360 degree of an organization to contribute to standing up for whatever social issue it may be. So consumers POV is that it's important for brands to raise awareness and take a stand on sensitive topics. Over 70% agree. 71% think it's important for brands to raise awareness and take a stand on sensitive issues. And that is a 7.6% increase from 2017. When you're thinking about who it's important to, oh, this is interesting. Gen Z is only 73%, only 73%, but millennials are 77%. Go millennials, we care. (laughs) Bleeding hearts. (laughs) At the same time, 48% of marketers say that brands need to speak out on social issues to stay culturally relevant on social media. I hate that quote. Okay, I'm, I'm moving past it. It is important to consumers and it's significantly more important to consumers than it is for organizations, which again, when you think about that contrast is really interesting. So that's going to take a bigger picture than just a social media team. And the data here supports that two thirds of marketers report having to encourage leadership to create company positions on the big issues. So there's a lot of leadership teams out there that still just are not prioritizing. And then, you know, the month comes like, Black History Month. And they're like, oh, we should post something. We should say something. And you're like, okay. Like, (laughs) how are we supporting Black history? How are we supporting the Black community? And let's, you know, be realistic and let's be tangible about it. And if we're not, let's use it as a time to reflect and, you know, really invest in how we are supporting diversity, whether it's in the workplace supporting consumers, supporting different communities, supporting history and culture, whatever it may be, but do something. And then, you know, Black History Month passes and then they don't think about it. And then the next year they're like, oh, Black History Month, let's go ahead and do something. And you're like, no, (laughs) yes, but you do, do something, make actionable changes, make a conscious effort and plan and execute against it so that you can be supportive and have a stake in a claim rather than just jumping on a bandwagon. I can't stand when companies jump on bandwagons. And consumers can smell it. The data is here. What affects consumers' decisions to pick a brand over a competitor? In 2021, it was 23% that the brand aligns with my personal values. In 2022, it jumped up 74%. It is officially 74% more important to consumers than it was in 2021 that the company alignment is true with their personal values. And this is another area where I think that brands can really get caught up in the weeds is that they're thinking so much about, okay, well, what does my consumer care about? What 
how can I perfectly align with every single buyer that I have out there? And that's important to think about how you're relating with them and if there's, you know, where the natural synchronization is between your core values and your consumer's interests. In the same caveat, you're never going to appeal to everybody. And there's a lot of paralysis around that perfect intersection of what my brand stands for, who I am, my values, and then what our consumers stand for. To that, I say, don't be afraid to, you know, let the bridges you burn light the way. (laughs) That's a little aggressive, but don't be afraid to stand for what is important to the thread of your company. Consumers want it. They're craving it. And so are your employees. A lot of employees, and I know this isn't about employee happiness, but a lot of employees want that too. They want a North star that's very clear about what your organization stands for so that they can pretty much opt in or opt out whether or not you align with their values. And that's okay. You might not align with everybody, but what you can do is align with the right people. And that's going to help naturally filter out the people that are best for your organization. Same thing goes with your marketing, making sure that you have clear values, you're rooted in it. Not only do your customers want it and your consumers want it, but so do your employees. Okay. On to the next one. Another trend that we always love to see is customer care expectations. Oh, this is nice. U.S. consumers' uh, expectations of responses on social have officially gone down. I love that. So U.S. consumers are saying that they're expecting a response, you know, one to 24 hours. 13% of U.S. consumers think that it should be within less than an hour. 29% of U.S. marketers think it should be less than an hour. Huh. Love that. Because customers are not expecting you to work so hard and get right on it. But generally, a 24-hour turnaround time is more than enough and more than fair. And, and it seems that consumers are starting to get more comfortable with the fact that there are real people behind these social media platforms and brand pages. <laughs> I love this quote. But lower customer expectations aren't an excuse to sit back and relax. Taking too long to respond has consequences. So when you take too long, 36% of consumers will allegedly say that they'll share a negative experience with friends and family and a comparable 31% won't complete their purchase and 30% will buy from a competitor instead. So you're going to potentially be losing out on a purchase and that's a sale. We all know that sales going to translate to revenue, profit, importance. So Keeping customer care top of mind when you're thinking about how to engage with your customer is really important. This is also an area that I find a lot of brand managers and leadership kind of forget about is the customer care side of it. So you're the first line of defense for every inbound message, every inbound inquiry, every complaint, every post, every communication from a customer, your social media manager is the first line of defense. So arming them and making sure that they're armed with a really robust escalation policy. So when is the threshold that they need to escalate up any type of inquiry, any type of question? What are the 
considerations? Are they monitoring and responding to comments between nine to five on Monday through Friday? Or are you also accounting for a weekend check-in? Making sure that all of that is really clearly defined early on can be really helpful for organizations to understand their customer care. But don't discount that first line of defense that your social media manager is working with. They do touch on AR, VR in here, but pretty much what they're saying is that marketers are way ahead of the curve when it comes to VR, AR, XR, cryptocurrency, metaverse, NFTs, like they are significantly more ahead, which is a good thing. You want to be prepared, but it's not caught up quite with consumers yet. That'll be something interesting to keep an eye on in future years. The last thing that I find interesting and profound when it comes to this trends report is social media advocacy programs for employees. So your employees are your biggest advocates for your organization, assuming that they're happy. When you're thinking about how employees can really extend the reach of your organization by talking about the company that they're working for, the values, that can be a really great way for you to attract a pipeline of applicants for your open positions. Obviously, that's really going to be mostly LinkedIn, but you're essentially tapping into other platforms and spreading your message, your open availability, everything else through your employees. So the most important business outcomes of an employee advocacy program, which 68% of organizations say they have, number one is to increase brand awareness. Number two is to increase number of qualified job applicants. So that definitely tells us that uh, promoting and hiring, I mean, social media is the new recruiting tool. And then three is control over brand messaging. So making sure that you have guidelines for your social media, I mean, your employees to talk about you on social media, that is helpful, but don't go too far with it. You know, you want to be able to encourage people to talk about the program. And a company that actually does this really well, and it's not surprising, is LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is, of course, a professional network. It's really catered to recruitment to job searching, to professional development. So naturally, it's going to be a great place for all companies and everybody to talk about employee advocacy and talking about their uh, company they work for. But the employees at LinkedIn on LinkedIn, (laughs) honestly, so good. They have, I think, encouraged their employees that that are being hired to talk about a really awesome onboarding experience. So not only do they have the experience that they're providing to their employees that they're onboarding, they're also just doing a phenomenal job of encouraging employees to share about that. So it's not just, oh, I got my laptop and had my first day. You know, that's not exciting. They create the story and help craft what these employees are talking about. So I'll I'll link to some examples of some employees in the section here that I've seen pop up on my feed. But man, those employees that are showing up at LinkedIn are just doing a phenomenal job with employee advocacy. So check it out. See if that's something that would be interesting for your brand. I have heard concerns in the past from leadership where they're like, oh, I don't really want my employees talking about where they work and what they do because I don't want them to get poached. And to that, I say that is a little bit of a toxic idea because happy employees don't leave and well-compensated employees don't leave. 
So if you're worried about them leaving so much, and also employees do leave because they want more opportunities and they want to grow and it's not really about you. But the job of manager and a management team is to take care of your employees, do right by them, give them the best opportunity that you possibly can and be gracious when they exit because it's a small world (laughs) and we're all in incredibly small industries, no matter which industry you're in. So don't forget to treat your employees well and encourage them to share what they can while they're with you so that they can continue to talk about your brand positively even after they've left. And that is the way the cookie crumbles. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk all about social media and the Sprout Social Index. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Let me know what your thoughts are. I'd love to hear what your interpretation of the information is and what insights really stood out to you and how you're going to be implementing it and those changes into your organization. Until next time, have a wonderful rest of your week. I'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Your support means the world to me. So if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, be sure to leave a five-star rating and subscribe to our show. We'll be releasing a new episode every Tuesday, bringing you various stories, deep dives, and discussions around the complexities of social media in our modern world. To follow along for more, be sure to follow us at Your Social HQ on Instagram or check out Social HQ at www.YourSocialHQ.com. I'm your host, Hillary Applegate, and I'll see you back here next week. Stay sane out there.